Good morning, Hope Church. We're so glad that you joined us this morning, and I recognize that you have choices as to how you spend your Sunday mornings, and so honored that you've chosen to log on to join us today. We have the privilege this morning of looking at one of my favorite events that ever took place in the history of the world. It was an event where we see a man who was in some ways hopeless, had been stuck in a routine that, that the, the work of God enmeshed his life in such a significant way that he would never be the same again. And it's so encouraging to me. I hope you're uplifted in our time together as we continue on in our study through the book of Acts. And I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out and turn with me to Acts chapter 3. But as we're heading into this, I want to confess to you an experience that I had several years ago where I was on a team that had was preparing for another team to go on a missions trip. And they had pre-purchased some tickets to fly to Thailand and accidentally through a clerical error, a very unfortunate one, it meant that the tickets had been actually doubly purchased. And so it represented a tremendous expense and uh, we had called the airlines many times. In fact, for the month prior to the team leaving, we had called daily. And in that process, I'd probably spoken to 10 different agents on this, from this international airline. And, and on the day that the team was leaving uh, to fly out, I went to the airport, prayed with them as they took off. And I said something to the team leader, like, you know, I'm going to make sure that I take names and go up the the line and do everything in my power to try to save these funds. And so I came back to the church office, called on my phone. And, and again, I'm just like, my heart was just racing because I'm just ready to correct this wrong. I can't believe all this money is potentially going to be wasted. And it felt a little extra tense because of the fact that the team was flying that very day. So I get a hold of this agent and as I speak to her, the, the first words that she says out of her mouth is, Mr. Brennan, I'm going to be able to fully refund your money. Now, I hadn't heard that for call after call, and I'm going to be able to refund your money. But then she went on to say something that was extremely convicting to me. She said that she was calling from a part of the world in a country where she was under persecution for being a Christian. And I have no idea to this day if it was because of the fact that I was calling from a church, if there was a caller ID or whatever it was. But, but she said to me, now remember, I'm upset about the fact that we're potentially going to lose this money. And she says, uh, sir, are you a pastor? And, and I was struck, like, yeah, yes. And she said, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to pray for me because of the things that are happening in my country right now, because of the fact that I'm a Christian. Now, at that moment, the thing that went through my mind was here I am looking at a person who's a daughter of the king, that she has represented herself as a Christ follower. And now in the middle of this heated moment, I did something that I've done so many different times. And I hope for each one of you, you understand how valuable this is that I just prayed this prayer. Lord, let me represent the love of Christ to this person. Let me make this prayer in Jesus name. And I, and I prayed for it and I, I'm weeping at my desk. Now you remember, I was ready to take notes about how we were going to get our money back. And, and the money stuff moved aside and we did get our money back. But 
But so much more important than that, there was this moment when I had the privilege of actually being a part of what Christ wanted to do on behalf of that young woman in the country that she was in. And even in the week before that, there was somebody in our church that was from that region and they had shared with me the intensity of the persecution that was happening in the name of Christ in that region. And I just knew right then that this was what God wanted me to have the privilege of doing. Now, Peter and John were disciples of Christ. We've seen them early in the early church as it was being established that that there were leaders that were being formed and developed in this crucible of everything being fluid. It was changing all of the time. And here we get the snapshot in the book of Acts chapter 3 where where Peter and John are going up to the temple. They're doing what was routine for them. They're going to go pray in the temple and they're going to pray to God. And they were seeking his will, I'm sure, for their life to serve him, to continue to be faithful. The Lord had, had been risen into heaven and now they walk in and then we get this snapshot that takes place in Acts chapter three, beginning in verse one. It says this, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That would have been about 3 p.m. And, and here they're, they're doing this routine duty. This is probably something very positive that they're about to do. But it goes on to say this in verse 2. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms. Now, this man, we're told elsewhere in scripture that he was over 40 years old at this time. You can imagine as a man who is lame, what he had not been able to do in his life, to run, to jump, to, to celebrate. Here he is outside of this formal religious worship process, and he's just asking for pennies. So he asks these two disciples, will you provide these alms for me? And he's probably in a pretty good location to receive from individuals that hearts were softened by their temple worship experience. He'd done this every day. And then what we see in the text in verse three, seeing Peter and John about to walk into the temple, he asked to receive alms and Peter directed his gaze at him. This is so important. He notices him as did John. And he says, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. This, this man who had, had missed out on so many things that others had experienced up until this point. A man who probably watched Jesus come in and out of the temple area. A man who'd watched this all from a distance. And then it says this. It says he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. I'm guessing that that something was probably pennies from an individual that was gracious enough to care about this man's needs, but he got so much more. Verse six, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. These words were written by a physician, Luke. And, and as he describes what happens to them, there's this, this sense of, of the physiological transformation that happened in this man's body. 
But then there was also this supernatural transformation where he's celebrating. He's, he's leaping for joy. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who'd sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. This geographical place was a place where Jesus, we're told in John 10.23, had preached messages there before. He'd, he'd been in this very place. And I can't imagine that Peter had seen Jesus at work there. And now Peter is going to do something that follows the footsteps of his master. He's going to preach a sermon that's quite profound. It's quite confrontational. But before we dive into that, I wanted you to notice something. And that is compassion begins with us noticing. What Peter and John did was they noticed this man. They did not respond with indifference, but they, they noticed him. And what we're going to see that they do is that they understand that they have the privilege of representing Christ to this man. In this case, it's going to be the supernatural healing of Christ for this man. But in other cases, what we're going to see is that this physiological transformation that takes place for him that's going to lead him to have joy. I can't imagine what it would have felt like to have been this man, to be someone who was around the bigger story, but he just watched from a distance. And now through the invitation and the kindness of these men who noticed him, is he's going to be given an invitation to not just stand, but to run and to bring joy and to experience something that was pretty profound. But it began with something that's so essential, and that is that they noticed it. You know, there's this little statement that's in here. Peter and John say this, this statement that said, silver and gold have I none. You know, in their lacking at this point, which was probably not the historical story for them. I'm guessing that Peter, when we first see his story, he's a small business owner, he's a fisherman, he's got, he probably had a different amount of resources in his life, but he left all of those things behind in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and now in his lack, it's possible that that's the very thing that helped him to understand the need that was around him. At this time in the history of America and of the world, we are more sensitive to our own needs. There's no question about it. Our own fears, our own questions, our own discouragements. But it's possible that in the middle of that, it's possible for us to love other people like we love ourselves, to notice in other people the very needs that they have that cut to the core of them. Peter and John noticed this man's lack that they understood something that was significant, and that was that he was significant, even if everybody else around him considered this man insignificant. One of the things that stands out to me about this as well in, in the history of that moment is that there was a, a noticing of what he really needed. In this case, he's asking for pennies. He's asking for the, food, the, the money that probably would go to purchase a meal that would help him to survive, that would allow him to get from one day to the next. And, and what, what Peter responds in the midst of this is he understands something, and that is that man's felt needs 
were not necessarily the thing that he needed the most. Now, we would guess that, that the thing that that man needed the most was a spiritual work to happen inside of him. But it's very interesting to me. He's asking for money. They say back, we don't have money, but what we have, we're going to give to you. And the thing that they do for him is something that is profound. It's a physical healing of this man. And, and what we're going to get to see is the celebration of him worshiping God afterwards, that, that there's a, a spiritual work that happens within him. One of the things that's so helpful for me studying this is that, that Peter and John understood that they themselves had gone through a spiritual healing in their life. They understood Christ as their divine healer. And that work that had happened inside of them gave them the ability and the confidence to look at this illness and to be able to say, arise, get up. Now, it's beautiful as, as Peter reaches down his hand, he's not healing him at that moment. Like actually God had done this miraculous healing and Peter just helps him up at this point. And as he helps him up and he gives this man a hand, something again that he didn't ask for, you look at this and you recognize that they didn't just encourage him. They introduced him to the one that gives life. They gave him the gospel giver in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in those words, do you see it in the text? It says, we do this in Jesus' name. So it began with them noticing what that individual needed. And, and I've been praying this way as I recognize that it is my privilege to be the hands and feet and, and even eyes of Christ at this time period in the history of America, that one of the things I've been praying for is, Lord, help me to see the world around us through your eyes. Help me to see the needs that are here. Help me to not only be aware of them, but to be willing to head into them to accept that these are individuals that may have bigger needs or different needs than they even think that they have. And it, it's, it's appropriate for us to think about it this way, that our lack, like Peter and John's case, our silver and gold have I none, our lack can lead to us understanding the needs of other people. <laughs> the other day I had the privilege of taking a friend to a, the hospital for a, a treatment that he needed. And it was early morning and and as we drove to the hospital, uh, he asked me if I would anoint him with oil. And I usually do keep this nice little jar of oil for, for times of prayer in my car, but we'd just done a deep clean of my car. And, and the only thing that was in my car was the antibacterial hand lotion that I have ready on the inside. And we both had a, a belly laugh as I prayed for him in Jesus' name, and I'm wiping this, this, you know, this, this antibacterial. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But, but in some ways, that's what we're going to do in so many areas of our life, is it may feel like it's far less than what we need or expected or what they anticipate, but that the Lord's provided us something that we can bless others with. And, and there's a number of things that we have, that we may not be aware of the fact that we possess. And I think that's so essential. When compassion begins with noticing, we notice what they need, but we also need to notice what we ourselves possess. Did you catch in the text what, what Peter and John blessed this man with? There, there's several things that, that stick out to me in the text. The first is obviously the healing that they are able to participate in. They had spiritually been healed by God. They engage in a physical healing of this man. But then there's also joy. 
They just are able to share joy. I don't know why that, that word keeps coming back to me at this time, especially when there's so much discouragement around. As, as Christ followers, we want to be people who radiate joy, not because of our circumstances, but in spite of them, because of the fact that we understand who the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is. We understand the source of true joy. Irma Bombeck, the comedian tells a great story that she was in church one day and there was a mom who kept slapping her kid who was turned around and was just smiling and was, was, was very happy, but she wasn't talking, but the mom kept shushing her and Irma um, went on to say this. She says, she concluded that some people come to church looking like their deceased rich aunt left everything to their pet hamster. <laughs> in contrast to the spirit-filled church that overflows with joy. That's what we want to be. We want to still laugh. We want to still find joy in the midst of the painful experiences that we're going through. And here this man who was crippled was able to experience a joy that came from the work that God was doing. The next is awe. We see it in the text that those who saw this, they, they were in amazement. You talk about shock and awe. They were overwhelmed by the work that God had done on behalf of this man. When I mentioned that later on, we know that he was over 40 years old, that here, this, this experience, this routine, he was a part of the background of their lives. Many of them every day seeing this man being carried and placed and alms for the poor, his cries. And now they stand back and they see that God had done a miracle on his behalf. The final thing that I believe they gave him is that they offered him access. Here we see this man who was on the outside now has access in a unique way to understanding the kind of things that God can do in our heart. It was a physical healing, yes, but there was a spiritual thing that was happening here too. And, and now he finds himself in that temple that he was on the outside of before and he's celebrating and praising the Lord I look at this and I find myself standing back and just being in awe of the way God works. And did you catch what Peter and John, the, the credit that they gave? The, this man understood that this was a supernatural thing. And, and Peter and John understood it as well. They gave credit where credit is due. For some of us today, we are people who find ourselves empty we're, we're discouraged. I don't have anything left to give. My life's worn out. I, I've actually read that multiple times this last week. People saying they kind of come to the end of themselves. And the way they're describing this, they're just saying, I'm, I'm worn out. And I, I find these words from William Barclay very encouraging. He says, the Christian knows that so long as he thinks of what I can do and what I can be, there can be nothing but failure and frustration and fear. But when he thinks of not I, but Christ in me, there can be nothing but peace and power. That I believe is what it means for us to do ministry in the name of Christ. I believe that's what it means for us to be people who understand what it means to say, like Peter and John, I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's essential for us to understand that no one said that this was going to be easy. One of my favorite stories that I've heard that has come out of the events of this last month and a half or so is a story that came out of Nicaragua. In the fall of 2015, a man from Colorado went on a missions trip to Nicaragua. 
And after he left there, he was so moved by the needs in the hospitals there that he saved his money, he invested, he, he um, gathered people together and they put together an entire container full of medical supplies to be donated to the hospitals of Nicaragua. Uh, according to the report that, that in early 2019, uh, uh, an entire uh, shipping container was filled with these medical supplies. It was sent over to Nicaragua. And then from there, it ended up getting stuck in the midst of paperwork. It, it was never opened. In fact, when they researched it from the Colorado side of things, they found out that it actually was up for auction, that, that it was never going to be utilized. And they were devastated. They're heartbroken. And they reached out to a believer in Nicaragua just saying, is there a possibility that you can research this? And and the story is quite fascinating because that would have been back in the fall of 2015 that he went on this missions trip. That in the end of 2015, he starts to gather this up. It's sent in 2019 and then it's sitting somewhere. No one even knows where it is. And then this, this believer in Christ goes and she meets with the people at this the shipping location and they, they allow her to, to research and they finally find this container and they open this container up. And inside of it, just about three weeks ago, they ended up finding 980 medical items, a box full of medical face masks, exam tables, IV poles, nebulizers, oxygen concentrators, monitors, respirators, 50,000 masks, medical gloves. The list goes on and on. And, and the individual who's describing this, when I heard her tell this story, you, your heart's broken because what she says is, she says, Jesus knew, God knew exactly what we needed at this time. And it ends up being opened up just a few weeks ago, and those, those items have been dispersed. And what she said, as a person who loves Nicaragua, she said, God loves our people so much that he would have moved in the heart of a man five years ago to do something that this is so key for me. And this is why I even bring this story up, not just to celebrate what God did, but if you were that man in Colorado, you would have stood back and you would have said, does God even care about this? Or is it, did I fail? What's going on? It would have been so discouraging. We know in our church family, there's people who feel that way right now. But the positive thing is that God was still at work, that God was doing something and his timing was going to be perfect to bring himself glory and honor. I hope that it is helpful for you to consider a second important point this morning, and that is compassion requires action. Awareness of a need is different from addressing it. The story of the prodigal son reminds me, I'm sorry, the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan reminds me of this individual who notices the need of someone else and then, and then actually does something about it versus those who, who should have done something about it but chose to ignore it. So awareness is one thing, but then choosing to address the need is something so much more important. So here, Peter lifts this man up and he blesses him. But, but what Peter also does, and this is so essential as we continue on in the text, is that Peter does something spontaneous. He preaches a sermon, a sermon that no one asked for him to give. But when he preaches this sermon, what happens is that he's going to describe a message of hope to people that desperately needed to hear it. He's going to challenge them to repent from the sins that they didn't even know that they had or that they had ignored up until this point. And so here, what Peter does is he embraces something that had to be awkward. He does something that had to be something that pushed him outside of his comfort zone. 
But he goes on to spontaneously preach a message where he had seen the Lord Jesus preach messages before. And he what does this thing that I believe brings great glory and honor to the Lord. Pick back up with me in Acts chapter 3 and verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wander at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our, our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted for you. This is such a powerful verse in verse 15. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. In other words, it was unsuccessful. You couldn't silence him who God raised from the dead. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Verse 16. And his life whom God raised from the dead um, in his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now they're, they're celebrating the miracle that had happened, but, but they don't take credit for this for themselves. They, they say that this is God's miracle. This is God's work in this man's life. And it's so important to catch that they're saying this is possible for you, that you can go from death to life. You can go from missing out on the fullness of what God has for you to something completely different. Verse 17, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your, also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall not, you shall not listen to him and whatever he tells you, or you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made from your father saying to Abraham. And in your offering shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. There's a great word that's in the middle of this repent. This, this idea of repentance, we talked about it last week. It, it involves the idea of us just changing our minds, that we, we stop looking at sin as being the thing that, uh, looking at sin in the way that is something that we're comfortable with, that we tolerate, that we allow to be a part of our lives. But instead he's saying, like, turn, listen. You know, it's amazing. This message is so profound. We assume that the, the apostle Paul, the one who at this point was Saul, is going to hear this message and it's going to fall on deaf ears. There's going to be some who hear this message that says that they had put to death the offer of life, but that he is still alive and still is the author of life. 
that they're going to hear that message and they're going to, some of them are going to ignore it. But for others of them, they're going to hear this and they're going to literally change their minds about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to change everything. As they give credit where credit is due, they also present a pathway forward for any life that chooses to accept the forgiveness offered by God to do. And that is to turn from those things that are destroying them, to repent of them, and to turn to the author of life. It's funny when we think about Pentecost that the question for the disciples on that day was, aren't you drunk? And Peter told them, no, I'm filled with the Spirit. And here they're asking a question of Peter that says, you work miracles? And he says, no, but I know the miracle worker. There's three specific applications that I want to encourage you with this morning. The first application is that I believe it is essential that we see the true needs of those who are around us. There are plenty of them. We want to see the humanity. When I opened this sermon with the illustration of that young woman that was in another country. I, I hadn't seen her humanity. I ignored it. I, I saw her as an obstacle in the way of what I wanted to, to get back or to refund, to recognize that around us every day, there's people that are around us that need access, awe, joy, and healing. The second thing that stands out to me is we need to love others enough to respond to those needs in Jesus' name. That, that that is our privilege. Sometimes it means that we embrace the awkward. You look at Peter's sermon here, and it was profound, but it was powerful and convicting. He spoke truth into a situation that desperately needed it. The third thing that, that stands out to me as we apply this truth to our lives today is, if we do things right on the outside, it will help people want to come inside with us. As a church we want to get right how we respond to those who are suffering around us. Some we know are sick. Some are losing their jobs. There's so many needs that are around us. And, and I just pray that we would be a church that responds in a way that is similar to what Peter and um, John did in this passage, that they chose to be men who responded in Jesus' name, confident that Jesus was their greatest need. And if we do that, I believe those who are on the outside of our church or the church in general will be able to look at this and say, I want to be a part of that. I suppose the opposite of that is true as well. If we are people who ignore the world that's around us and the things that are happening, that I believe that we do something that communicates to them how we feel about having them be a part of what we believe God's doing in and through us. So this, this historical event was one that was filled with truth that, that I hope is an encouragement to you today, that, that we have the privilege of being the very hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs hope in this day. And I believe like, like Peter and John, we have the ability to say that I do this loving act in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, we love you and we just pray that today as we have studied your word, that your word would not return void, that you would continue to encourage us to be people who are after your own heart, that we would continue to be self-feeders of your word, and that we would continue to be people that walk worthy of our calling today. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.